0: All right, hold on. Do you, do you care where I am? No, not at all. But I don't want to make any today. Okay. Sorry. All right, and I'm starting now. Thanks, Danny. Hey, friends. Welcome to RUF. Thanks for bearing with us and the virtual weirdness. So for the next seven weeks, seven large groups, we're going to be doing this series called The Seven Deadly Sins. And part of that is I don't know what life for you has been like in a pandemic, um, but if I'm being honest, it's been a struggle. And so part of why we wanted to do this series is just talk about common sins, um, difficult sins that we wrestle with as Christians. And tonight we're going to be looking at the sin of pride, and to do that, we're going to be looking at a, a strange story out of Second Kings chapter 5. It's a story of Naaman, an Assyrian general. Here I'm going to read it for us. Second Kings, if you want to follow along, chapter five, starting in verse one. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, in one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus so spoke uh, the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he, Naaman, went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times into Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let me pray for us and I want to dive in to thinking about what this passage has to say to us about the sin and struggle of pride. let's pray first. Our father, we thank you that even though we're not together in person that we can still be together in some um, some way shape and form, gathered around your word, even if through a screen. We thank you that you're not limited by a pandemic to do your good work in us and Lord, I pray that um, tonight that you really would work on our pride, that you would help us to repent and believe the gospel afresh, that you would convict us of the places and the ways that we are proud and have been proud and and remain proud. And at the same time, would you show us Jesus, uh, the Jesus who humbled himself, the Jesus who though rich became poor, that we though poor might in him become rich. Would you show us Jesus and the humility of Jesus, and would you invite us uh, into that humility even tonight to learn what that means for our lives and to learn how the gospel creates that kind of humility in, in us? Would you meet us in that way, O Lord, we pray. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the most formative books for me in all of my Christian life I read probably when I was in high school was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, uh, the chapter that still just blows me away, I just reread it, it's chapter 8, I believe, and it's simply called The Great Sin, and it's all about pride. And here's what he says, here's how Lewis starts talking about pride, and he calls it the vice of all vices, it's the sin beneath all other sins, because pride is a spiritual sin that keeps us in a position where we're defying God and despising each other. But here's, here's what Lewis wrote. Years ago, he said this. He said, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice, it is the complete anti God state of mind. And what I want to do tonight is just look at what 2 Kings 5 tells us about pride. And I just want to do two things as we think about what this passage has for us. First, I want to think about how pride works. And then second, I want to look at how pride is healed, the healing of pride. So first, let's look at Naaman and look at how pride works. And there are four things I want you to see about how pride works in our hearts and in our lives. Here's the first. The first is that we see that Naaman very clearly from the, from the jump felt very entitled Uh, that, that little detail about there was a little girl in his house who was a little slave girl that he had stolen. He and his army had stolen from Israel, and she's the one in God's kingdom, in God's humble ways, who tells him about this prophet who might heal him, Elisha. But the first thing I don't want you to miss is that Naaman obviously felt very entitled to steal a little girl from the land of Israel and make her His own. She actually, this passage tells us, worked for his wife as a mistress. And we don't know the fullness of what else her slavery entailed. But Naaman, obviously by his pride, felt very entitled. And that's the first thing I want you to see, is that pride makes us feel enormously entitled to do what we want, to say what we want, to think what we want, and to treat people as we want in a way that pleases ourselves. And that's why pride is the ultimate affront to anything close to gratitude. Right. That's why Tim Keller, I've always loved the way he says it. He says he calls pride cosmic plagiarism because instead of receiving any gift that we might have and looking at other people and looking at all the good things that God has given us as gifts from him, we feel entitled to them, which often means we, because we feel entitled, we get embittered when we don't have them. Think about you know maybe you're, you're embittered about your singleness because you feel entitled to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and part of that is pride at work in your life. Why do I not have this? I should have this. So pride makes us, instead of uh, living with deep gratitude to God for his good gifts, we feel entitled to do whatever makes us feel good about ourselves, thus treat others as objects to be used and possessed. Think about it like this for a second. Think about how, when we think about lust, think about how actually there's so much pride behind lust, which is why we feel in our lust entitled to use another human being made in God's image, made for his glory, precious in his sight, And then we use them in an entitled way for our own pleasure and gratification. Pride is the sin behind every other sin. And that's how part of the way it works, even behind lust. So first, pride makes us feel very entitled. But second, the second thing I want you to see about Naaman is Naaman led with strength, not weakness, not vulnerability. He led with his successes. He led with putting forward a good image not in weakness and in vulnerability, which is why, if you call it in the passage, he shows up with essentially an entire bank, an entire wardrobe, chariots, and horses. He shows up with the entourage of his success, the entourage of his power, the entourage and possessions of his strength, so to speak. And that's what the second thing I want you to say about pride is pride won't let us be weak and vulnerable, which is what we really are. So instead of being honest about what we really struggle with, about who we really are, about our deep insecurities, we try to present a certain image of success and strength, and that is pride. It's why we often dress the way that we dress. It's why we can look in a mirror and do this forever and ever, just so we can go into the world and present a certain image, because we are proud people at heart. Instead of being honest about our insecurities and real about our struggles. We try to make ourselves seem impressive and successful. Uh, I just had a moment like this just the other day. It was a small one where a friend had asked me, "You know, how are you holding up? And without thinking, I just said, doing great actually. And then I caught myself and the reality was that day I just crushed 20 McNuggets alone in my car. And it was sort of like, I, it was a lie. And so I actually did circle back in the moment and said, be honest, I'm, I'm having a bit of a hard day. But pride is that first impulse to want to present a strong, successful image of ourselves. Pride is also why we don't pray. We don't want to be dependent on anyone. I've always loved the way that Paul Miller in his great book, A Praying Life, he's, he says it like this, and it's always convicted me. is that if you're not praying, you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. And that's the place that pride keeps us, in a place of where we don't do vulnerability, where we don't confess our sins, where we don't share our struggles, and where we don't even take them to the Lord in prayer. Third, Naaman felt superior. That's the little bit about when Elisha says, go wash in the Jordan River, Naaman felt above that. He thought Damascus and his place as an Assyrian was superior to Israel and what it meant not just the rivers of Israel, but the people of Israel, pride does that. it makes us feel better than others. It makes us feel like we have to be better, more superior to others. Uh, listen to the way that Lewis again in that great chapter in, in mere Christianity, he says it like this: He says, "Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And listen to this, what he says. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something... is above you and this is part of what makes pride so tricky as a christian is it even sneaks into the good things we might do you maybe have heard me share the story before but the first mission trip i ever took as a young christian sophomore year right before sophomore year of high school we went to west virginia and i was on fire for the lord i was growing i was in the word i was praying it was a beautiful time in my christian life but then pride really snuck in so we're on this mission trip in virginia and there was two groups of guys sleeping in two separate rooms And for whatever reason, I think good reasons, I was in my room and I decided to lead our our little room of guys in a time of prayer. And so we prayed and then went to bed. Well, then the next morning at breakfast, much to our surprise, we found out what was happening in the other guy's room that night. And it it turned out they were talking in some unkind and gossipy ways about the girls without knowing that the girls in our group were directly below them and heard everything. And as they were sharing that, I remember this this gleeful feeling That I was better than them because I had led my group in a time of prayer. And I remember telling my youth pastor, just trying to, the way that pride works, right? We're trying to show our righteousness. I remember saying to him, guess what we were doing? We were praying as they were talking all kinds of things about the girls. And I'll never forget the look of just disappointment in his face. Because what he saw is what I didn't see. Was that there was pride even behind my prayer. There was pride behind the way I was doing and then telling others how I was doing the Christian life. Pride is so sneaky in that way. It makes us feel superior, sometimes even as Christians, which is part of why it's like a cancer in us. It's easy for us to not see it. And we need others to see it and call it out like my youth pastor did. And fourth, the last thing I want you to see about pride and how it works is that Naaman was really easily offended. Which is why when Elisha told him to go wash in the Jordan... He got really mad and he went away. The pastor said, he was angry and went away. And it wasn't until his friends, his servants, kind of talked him out of it to at least trying what Elisha was saying that he actually listened and did what Elisha told him to do. But that's part of what pride does in us, is it makes us easily offended. In other words, you don't take criticism very well, nor do you have grace or patience for anyone who might slight you in the smallest ways. Pride makes us petty, right? and makes us easily offended, petty, we don't take criticism well, because when you have a high opinion of yourself, you can never really listen or learn from anyone. And when your entire identity isn't being right, which is what pride does in us, then you can never ever admit to yourself, much less others, when you're wrong. So how do you know if you're proud? Do you find it easy to be grateful? Or are you bitter that you don't have what you think you deserve? Uh, Do you share your struggles with friends, or do you hide them in order to look like a good Christian who has it all together? Do you ever feel just a little bit better than those people, whoever those people are to you? And do you handle criticism or rebuke? Faithful are the wounds of a friend is what Proverbs says. Can you receive that in your life, or are you too defensive? So first, how pride works, and if you're like me, you see something of the pride in your life, but the last thing I want to talk about is the healing of pride, and really just two things that I really want you to see from this passage, and the first is that Naaman finds his healing, the healing not just of his leprosy, but of his pride in the place of humiliation, in the place where he has to humble himself. Again, the rivers of Damascus were far more beautiful, far more impressive, far more attractive than the Jordan River in Israel, which was unimpressive at best and off-putting at worst. And what I want you to see is part of what Elisha and part of what the Lord are doing is they're humbling Naaman. It's as if the Lord is saying to him, Naaman, you have a problem far greater than your leprosy, the leprosy that covers your skin, and that problem is your pride, The pride that covers and chokes your heart. Your healing comes in being humbled. It's the only way to begin to chip away at your pride. Uh, The moment where this passage became really real to me was a moment probably seven, eight years ago. I was having an issue in my life and I had landed through counseling into kind of what I would just call a recovery group. And I remember being in that group and thinking, "I I shouldn't be here. Someone like me shouldn't be in a room like this. And, and somewhere in the middle of that, as I was thinking I shouldn't be here, and as pride was eating away like a cancer at my heart, this passage came to mind because I, like a thought that's the last place I thought my healing should come from. My healing should come in the ways that I want it to. My healing should come in the ways that are acceptable to me. My healing should come in ways that make me look good, not ways that embarrass me or ways that make me look bad. And it was like the Lord was saying... It's, it's time to wash in the Jordan River. That sometimes our healing comes, often our healing comes, maybe always our healing comes from the place where we're being humbled. From the place where we are in touch more and more with our brokenness and that we really are worse than we know ourselves to be. The reality for me in that season was it was my pride that was keeping me from getting the help I truly needed. That's why you've heard me, if you've ever had a one-on-one with me and we've, got, we've broached the topic of counseling, you, I probably have said this to you. I always say the same thing, that the only thing you have, the only thing you risk to lose is your pride, and that's actually a beautiful and great thing. And that's why part of when we think about how the opposite of pride is humility, and in the kingdom of Jesus, the proud are out and the humble are in, it, it takes us back to the way we even became Christians, To become a Christian is the humbling of the pride that told you you didn't need a savior or you could save yourself. And then you were brought to that point by the spirit to see your need for Jesus, to see maybe your sin for the first time, to see why you needed to be saved. That's called humility. And that means that one of the most gracious things that God can do in our lives is to expose our pride, is to bring things into our lives that that humble us, that show us and expose our weakness even as they expose our pride. And that's the second thing I want you to see about Naaman's Naaman's healing, and where we find healing, is that Naaman found healing ultimately, not just in his own humiliation, but he ultimately found healing in the humiliation of Jesus. Think with me just for a second. Long after Naaman's death, years and years later, we find Jesus with John the Baptist on the bank of the Jordan River. If you know the story, John has been baptizing sinners in the Jordan River. He's been inviting them, prophesying to them to repent and to believe the good news about the coming Messiah, Jesus. So imagine John's confusion when Jesus, this Messiah he's preaching, this sinless Savior that he's offering to, to sinners, comes and asks to be baptized himself. You would, if we were John the Baptist, the question we would be asking is, why, Jesus, why would I baptize you? You're not a sinner. You're the Savior of sinners. But the reality is that Jesus' baptism is where our healing begins. It's where our healing happens. When, When we are baptized, we are trusting that the Lord's grace can wash away our sins and give us new life, make us clean for the first time. But when Jesus was baptized, it was the exact opposite. Think about just the image. Jesus wades into the River Jordan, and he is literally washed as he's being baptized with sinful waters, he's being washed with our sins and the sins of everyone who'd been baptized in the Jordan and our sins, our pride, our lust, our greed, every sin we're going to talk about this semester is washed unto Jesus that we might be clean. Another way to say it is Jesus is baptized into our sins that he might carry them to the cross and bear the judgment that they deserve that he might free us and forgive us from them forever. He is washed with our pride and lust and greed that we might be washed by his spirit and by his grace. Our salvation is in the humility of Jesus. Paul said it like this, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, back to Lewis. I love the way that Lewis says this, because this is the hope of the gospel. If God were proud, he would hardly have us in such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer almost everything else to him. Another way we could say that our hope tonight is that the Lord isn't too proud to love proud people like you and me. And he is committed to turning proud people like you and me into people who are marked by deep humility like him. People who, let's give it just a vision of what does it look like for us to be a humble people. Here it is, people who are quick to confess our sins. People who know that we're better than no one. People who listen and listen well because we're not just waiting for our turn to talk. People who are the best friends in the whole world because not only are they safe to confess your sins to, but also because they're vulnerable about their own. People who can admit that we're wrong because being right isn't our righteousness, Jesus is. People who love the poor because we can identify with them. People who love those who are different from them because they know they have so much to learn. The reality, friends, is that pride is a cancer. It's how the devil became the devil. It's the flagship sin of hell, and only Jesus can heal us from it. I'll close with this. I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but one of my favorite stories in all of Chronicles of Narnia, again, uh, Lewis's great fictional work. Is a story in Voyage of the Dawn Treader with the, the nasty little nephew, the nasty little cousin, Eustace, who's just giving the other kids, the brothers and sisters, a hard time the whole time. He's a show-off. He's full of pride. And in this one strange part of the book, they are visit this island where they find a dragon who is sleeping by tons and tons of gold. And Eustace, in his pride, thinks, if I can get that gold and bring it back... To where I'm from, I'm going to be something, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to have something over people. I'm not just, I'm going to be wealthy, but I'm going to have something to like, for people to be jealous of me about. And what happens is as Eustace goes to try to steal the gold from this sleeping dragon, he falls asleep himself and he turns into a dragon himself. And as he wakes up and realizes he sees the scales all over him and he sees his great wings and he's terrified, he's horrified by himself. And what he tries to do is he, he starts trying to peel his own dragon's skin and scales off, but he can't. He keeps trying to pull them off, and as soon as he gets just a little bit off, they cover his whole body again. He is a dragon covered in the scales of a dragon. And then he happens upon Aslan, the Christ figure. And Aslan does what Aslan alone can do. He says, only I can get these scales off of you. And the way that Lewis tells it is as Aslan does, and and Eustace is telling the kids what happened as Aslan rips those dragon scales off of him and makes him a, a human again. As he says, that first claw as it dug into my dragon skin, it was so painful. But then, but then, I, I saw myself, and the scales were off, and I and I felt the clean, smooth body, and I felt clean again. And this is what I want you to see is that the way the Lord heals our pride is by beginning to tear off those scales. And at first, you need to know this the pain of losing your pride is going to feel like you're going to die. But what you're going to find is like Eustace and like Naaman, is that you finally. In the arms of a savior and a healer like Jesus, you finally begin to feel clean, like a little child without a care in the world other than the joy and wonder of being loved, the proud person that you are, by someone like Jesus. It's the joy and wonder of humility, his humility and stooping to love us in that way, and his humility making us humble. Let's pray together. Lord, would you make it so? Would you free a space for us even tonight to show us where we've been blind to our own pride? Would you make a space in us tonight to begin to be vulnerable with each other? Now, those who are with us in this watch party, would you make something beautiful happen as we share the stories of our pride and the struggles of our pride and the ways that you have met and are meeting us in them? Lord, would you make us a people that are marked by deep, 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 Christ-like, your humility. And might the world know us not as those proud, judgmental Christians, but might the world know us as those who have been humbled, so humbled by your grace, that they are the kindest, safest, most lovely people on earth. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I think we're going to break out into discussion groups, but more from your watch party hosts. Thanks. Right.